This week on Wealth Track, the Bitcoin explosion. What does the future hold for the world's premier cryptocurrency and many related investments? Could we be in a world where Bitcoin is a multi-trillion dollar asset and Ethereum uh, is a trillion dollar asset? Uh, I don't know that we'll get there, but they certainly both have significant potential. Crypto trend spotter Matt Hogan will be our guest this week on Consuelo Mac Wealth Track. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care, and we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com wonder. Funding provided by Morgan Le Fay Dreams Foundation, Clearbridge Investments, Royce Investment Partners, Matthews Asia, First Eagle Investment Management, and Strategus Asset Management. Hello and welcome to this edition of Wealth Track. I'm Consuelo Mack. Beware the headline makers. According to Wall Street lore, when a financial asset hits the front pages, it can signal a turning point, either a recovery if negative or a fall if positive. And one of the most famous examples, of course, being the 1979 cover of Business Week proclaiming the death of equities. As its successor, Bloomberg Business Week has pointed out many times since, it took three years, but the market finally bottomed in 1982 and began the longest bull market on record at that time. Well, needless to say, that performance has been eclipsed since by the 2009 to 2020 bull run. But take a look at what is making headlines today, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrency-related investments. Front page of Barron's, diving into Bitcoin. Financial Times, Coinbase's $76 billion debut put seal on cryptocurrency's asset class. Well, there is no question that Bitcoin and Coinbase, the market exchange for digital currencies, and a few other cryptocurrency-related investments have arrived. As we say this, Bitcoin's market value is over $1 trillion. At its public trading debut, Coinbase's total start market value far eclipsed the Nasdaq's where it was listed and ICE, the holding company of the New York Stock Exchange. Money talks. Wall Street's giants, including Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, and BlackRock, are offering Bitcoin products to clients. Bitcoin has come a long way since Warren Buffett commented, it's probably rat poison squared back in 2018. But how far will it go? Well, today's guests had the foresight and guts to get involved in ETFs in their early stages. And more recently, in 2018, he threw his energy and career into cryptocurrencies, believing they would become the next big positive innovation for investors. How does he feel now? He is Matt Hogan, Chief Investment Officer and former Global Head of Research at Bitwise Asset Management, a cryptocurrency asset manager founded in 2017, which launched the world's first and largest cryptocurrency index fund, the Bitwise 10 Crypto Index Fund, which holds the 10 largest crypto assets weighted by market capitalization. Currently, Bitwise manages more than a billion dollars in crypto assets. Bitwise also has several other low-cost liquid crypto asset funds and is in the process of offering them as ETFs. The cryptocurrency world has changed since our last conversation a year ago. I asked Hogan to describe just how much it has changed. 
oh, it's night and day, Consuela. It's changed dramatically and it's changed faster than I could ever expect. A year ago, people were extremely skeptical of cryptocurrencies. A lot of people thought Bitcoin would simply one day just disappear. Institutional investors and professional investors were afraid to touch it. All of that has shifted. It's gone mainstream much faster than even I anticipated. You now have insurance companies that are putting Bitcoin on your balance sheet. You have S&P 500 companies that are putting Bitcoin on their balance sheets. You have the largest hedge funds in the world that are allocating to Bitcoin. And of course, retail investors as well. And it's more than just Bitcoin. You're seeing other crypto assets emerge. So it's changed night and day. It's gone from something that yeah. people thought could disappear to something that is clearly cemented as part of our future. And it's really exciting to see where it goes from here. So what happened, Matt? Why this complete turnaround uh, in perception and acceptance? Yeah, I think it's probably three things, Consuela. So on the one hand, we had radical experiments in monetary policy, QE and fiscal deficits that we've never seen before. And that raised people's concerns about inflation. And they looked around for the most efficient right. hedge. And some of them landed in Bitcoin. Paul Tudor Jones famously was one of the first institutional investors to allocate to Bitcoin. And he did so because he was worried about this massive QE and fiscal experimentation that followed the pandemic. And he wanted a hedge and he found Bitcoin. So that was, that was one thing. The second thing, and maybe this is even more important, there were a number of major regulatory developments. There was a lot of regulatory uncertainty around Bitcoin and Ethereum and other large cap crypto assets a year ago. And there were a number of steps by the OCC that sort of brought them into the light and said that there's a safe regulatory space where Bitcoin and crypto could exist, at least partially. It's not fully defined, but partially. And that allowed institutional investors to come into the market. And once one of them got over the hump, right, once one of them raised their hands and said, I'm putting Bitcoin on my balance sheets or I'm building a business around crypto, other people were emboldened to follow and it just created momentum. And that momentum has, has ended up rolling really fast in the past few months. And then the third thing is sort of the next level of crypto, which really emerged last summer, which is called decentralized finance. And if you want to think of it this way, one way to conceive of crypto and blockchain is it's the technology that allows money to exist on the Internet. Bitcoin was the first example of that. And all it is is money. It's a way to store value. People call it digital gold. The next level of that is what can you do with money once it's on the internet? And the answer to that is you can program it like you would software. And so there has been this whole second wave of crypto that really emerged last summer called decentralized finance, where people are using software to do the things that banks and other financial companies used to do. It's one of the least understood areas of crypto but also one of the fastest growing, and it's given crypto sort of a second story. Are digital currencies, is Bitcoin digital gold? Is it a hedge against it's inflation? It's an emerging hedge against inflation. But I use that word emerging because there's still a lot of risk in it. It's still way more volatile than gold. So is it a long-term hedge against inflation? Is it what I use in my portfolio to hedge against inflation risk? Yes, but you have to look at it over long periods of time because it still has that emergent risk to it. it. It doesn't have a track record as a hedge against inflation, right? I mean, so, so where, where does that concept come from? If you think about Bitcoin, why right. is it called digital gold? It's the first scarce digital asset in the world. In a literal sense, the Bitcoin blockchain invented the concept of digital scarcity. So there'll only be 21 million Bitcoin. Uh, you don't have to trust anyone to verify that you own it. It's the first scarce digital asset in the world. 
And it's doing a similar thing to what gold did in the 70s, which is at the beginning, people didn't know what it was. And then it emerged as a store of value. And as a result, its price has gone up significantly. So I actually think it's more similar to gold than people give it credit for. And I think if you think about the broad world, look, everything has a digital analog, right? There's the, the paper New York Times and the online New York Times. They're paper books and we read books right. on Kindles. You can go to the movie or you can watch it at home. Almost everything in our world has a digital version of an analog good. And I see no reason why a store of value would, would be any different. In fact, I think Bitcoin is probably long-term a better, more useful non-sovereign store of value than gold. And, and long-term, I expect its market cap to exceed that of gold. Where's the store of value except for the fact that somebody, we still don't quite know who, right, decided there would only be 21 million Bitcoins and ever. And, uh, you know, again, couldn't somebody just create, you know, another, I mean, there are other cryptocurrencies being created. Let me contextualize sort of one way to think of the breakthrough of what the Bitcoin blockchain is. And this is is all it is. People get hyped about Bitcoin and crypto But all it is, is a different kind of database. That's what a blockchain is. And what's the difference? It's the first database that's available everywhere, but which no single party controls. So before the Bitcoin blockchain, if you had a database, like your bank has a database of accounts, and it has to dictate and tell you what's true in that database. It processes every transaction. It keeps the record. It can adjust that database at will. It controls the database. And those are the only kinds of databases that exist. What a Bitcoin blockchain is, is it's a database that's available everywhere around the world, which everyone agrees is accurate and maintains the state of truth, but which no single party controls. And because no single party controls it, you can own something on the Bitcoin blockchain without anyone giving it your blessing. It's like if Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook had created digital gold, no one would trust it. It wouldn't have become a multi-trillion dollar asset because they could change the rules of the game, right? They would control that database. But because no one controls the Bitcoin blockchain, because it just exists out there and is maintained by a, a decentralized collective, uh, it's, it can be uh, true without anyone controlling it. And that's, that's why it's a, a store of value. That's why it's scarce, because no one can change the rules of this database. And it's literally the first database for which that is true. Now, your, 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 your second okay. question, why can't somebody create another cryptocurrency? People do. People have. They there do, 6, right. There's 6,000 of them. Dogecoin. Dogecoin. Yeah, don't get me started, <laughs> Consuela. Here, here's, here's the difference. Um, well, there, there are really two differences. Yeah. In the same way that, you know, I could hire an app developer and write a new Uber app, but I wouldn't have Uber, right? I wouldn't control the company. There's a giant network effect to Bitcoin. It's you can trade it uh-huh. in 130 countries. It trades at penny wide spreads. There's rules, there's regulations, there's liquidity providers. None of that would happen if you and I got together and decided to, to create the, the Consuela and Matt coin. Uh, it wouldn't have any value because it wouldn't be available anywhere. But here's the bigger point. The way this database is maintained and secured is it has thousands, tens of thousands of miners that work to process transactions and spend money and energy to secure the database. Bitcoin blockchain is actually the largest supercomputing network in the world. It's the most secure database in the right. world. It's only that way because Bitcoin is worth a trillion dollars or, or, or whatever, uh, because people are willing to expend energy to secure that. And a new cryptocurrency is just never going to, to catch up to that. So it's a network effect game in the same way that apps are or the same way that Facebook is. 
right? Facebook's core underlying technology is not a defensible advantage. We could build another social network app, but you wouldn't have that network effect. And that's why no cryptocurrency to date has dethroned Bitcoin and why it's unlikely, at least for the digital gold use case, that anyone will. Now, there are other use cases, and I think there are other assets that could get very large and are very interesting. Why don't I go right to the, the issue that you just raised that our viewers are going to say, Consuelo, ask him what are the other, you know, digital currency related assets that you think um, have staying power that you think yeah. are exciting? Well, let me just talk about the first two assets and how they're different and why I think both of them are interesting. Right. So Bitcoin, the first cryptocurrency, the first blockchain, all these are based on software. The Bitcoin software is very simple. You can only program it to do a few things. You can program it to send Bitcoin, receive Bitcoin, do some very simple transactions. It's a very limited program. It's kind of like a calculator. The next largest asset is an asset okay. called Ethereum. You can program Ethereum to do anything. It works like a computer. It's what's called Turing complete. So you can program it to escrow. You can program it to serve as a fundraising tool. You can program it to process loans. You can program it like you would any computer. Now you might be thinking, well, Matt, Ethereum sounds better than Bitcoin. Being able to do everything is better than being able to do a few things. But in cybersecurity, mm -hmm. being able to do a few things has certain advantages. It means your database is less likely to have bugs. It means it's more secure. And that's why Bitcoin is optimized to serve as digital gold. What it's really good at is holding wealth in a secure fashion. It's literally designed to do that. Ethereum is not as secure as Bitcoin, but it can do much more. And so this second level of the crypto you know, revolution, if you want to call it, this idea of programming right. money, all of that is taking place on Ethereum. And that's a really exciting market as well. So could we be in a world where Bitcoin is a multi-trillion dollar asset and Ethereum uh, is a trillion dollar asset? Uh, I don't know that we'll get there, but they certainly both have significant potential. And as you go down to other cryptocurrencies, it's like different software companies, right? Oracle and Salesforce uh -huh. and Microsoft are all software companies, but they do different things. Bitcoin and Ethereum and Polkadot uh, are all different cryptocurrencies and they're good at different things. Will they all succeed? Of course not. Uh, but I suspect there'll be, you know, five to 10 of them that are sort of institutionally important. Right. What about Coinbase? Is that yet another, you know, innovation? So historically, the way traditional investors have invested in crypto is by buying Bitcoin or buying Ethereum or buying Uniswap. And those right. are very interesting assets. Now we're starting to see a large wave of companies, of equities, of stocks that are building on this emerging crypto ecosystem. So Coinbase, you mentioned, recently went public. It's the largest exchange right. in the crypto world. Actually, an interesting fact. It's the largest exchange, right? I mean, it's, it's, it came, when it came public, it, it was bigger than the NASDAQ where it was, had a, a direct listing, which was like another <laughs> really interesting uh, you know, approach to take uh, as far as being you know, individual investor yep. friendly. And of course, it, it's, uh, it was more valuable than ICE, which is a holding company for the New York Stock Exchange, that's, among that's others. That's exactly right. It also has more customers than Charles Schwab, E-Trade, and TD Ameritrade combined. This, this space is wow. enormous, and it's growing very fast. It has 56 million right. customers. Uh, its revenue was up 10x over the last year. And so am I surprised that it has a valuation that rivals that? of the New York Stock Exchange? I'm really not. It's, it's, it's an iconic company. Mm -hmm. 
in a rapidly emerging industry. And there are going to be more companies like Coinbase that go public in the next six to 12 months. I think this is a theme investors should get used to. How speculative does everything that's happened in the last year feel to you? I think you? it's both speculative, but it still feels like we're very early. And that's a difficult combination. Uh -huh. So why is it very early? Most investors are still on the sideline, right? Most investors are still afraid to address cryptocurrency. I think that's going to change. And there is still a wall of institutional capital that's moving into this market. But is there speculative excess? Of course, there's speculative excess. Uh, speculative excess right. you know, always rides shotgun with great innovation. And that's what's happening here. So investors have to be very careful. They have to take a long view. Uh, and they have to understand that those two things can happen side by side. It can be early, but it still can have speculative excess. And I think that's definitely the case here. You know, you mentioned um, earlier one of the reasons that this whole area was exploding was regulation. So talk about regulation, because one of the appeals of digital currencies was the anonymity, of course, and, and the fact that, that you could move money and that, you know, no government could basically trace you. I think it changes some of the origin appeal, right? Cryptocurrency in its earliest right. days was sort of anarchic, anti-regulatory. It had a huge focus on privacy. And privacy, I think, is something that people will right. care more about in the future. Uh, but the reality is... Mm -hmm. The core innovation here is this ability to move money at internet speeds, the ability to program money, right. and that's going to have a regulated future. So there is a small fraction of the crypto industry that fights against regulation, but for by and large, uh, the cryptocurrency industry welcomes clear regulation because it, it, it views this core technological breakthrough as undeniable if it can be allowed to exist sort of peri pursue with the rest of the world. So what we've seen over the past few years is crackdowns from regulators on the less savory parts of the crypto industry. And sort of- Right, which you welcome. You've told me in other pro programs that you think that's, it's, it's needed as, as, the, as it matures. Important. That that's yeah, hugely essential. important. You're yeah, not going important. to get mass mutual right. allocating to Bitcoin if it still had that unsavory element, if, if it weren't a, a well-regulated industry. Now, we still have progress to go. We still need good regulations. Regulators could overreach. That's definitely a risk. Um, but generally speaking, more regulation has been good for the cryptocurrency industry for the past few years. And I think that trend will continue into the future. China, they have they're said that they're going to create their own digital yuan, uh, their, their currency. What is your feeling about that and its impact yeah. on this well, market? Well, first of all, every central bank is going to create their own digital currency. As I mentioned earlier, this is just 100%. Are they? This is just the way money moves uh -huh. uh, in the modern world. To, to, to focus on that for a second, if we went to Bank of America with 240,000 employees and tried to wire money to London, it would take two business days and the fee would be a couple percent. The other day on the Bitcoin blockchain, someone moved a billion dollars. It settled in 10 minutes. The fee was 57 cents. It's just so much faster and so much more efficient. So yes, every central bank is going to launch digital currency because that's the way money is going to move around the world uh, sometime in the next five years. So Matt, uh, you being the chief investment officer of Bitwise Asset Management, you've got uh, about a billion dollars of crypto assets under management. Bitwise created the first and largest now crypto index fund. And, uh, and so talk to us about the index business uh, and also uh, the, the when these are going to actually become ETFs. We started the index fund 
because this is a difficult to evaluate, disruptive, fast moving market. So the index fund we designed right. to allow investors to take broad based diversified exposure to the space without having to try to pick and choose which particular asset would win. You mentioned the, the ETF. People are making progress right. toward a Bitcoin ETF. People have been working on a Bitcoin ETF in the US, believe it or not, since 2013. We've seen them approved in other wow. markets. They're Bitcoin ETPs in right. Switzerland, in Germany, in Canada, in Brazil. I think we're making progress in the US and I think we're closer than we haven't been in the past, but we're not quite there yet. And, and the SEC has been asking good questions all along, questions that deserve good answers. So I think we'll get there. I do think it will be great for crypto. It's going to drive down the costs of acquiring Bitcoin. It's still relatively expensive to buy Bitcoin. ETFs, as you know, tend to collapse the costs for accessing almost any asset. Uh -huh. There are already a lot of ways that investors can buy Bitcoin. They can buy it through their PayPal app. They can buy it through Square. They can buy private mm -hmm. funds. They're closed end like funds that trade on the market that you can buy in a brokerage account. So it's not like people can't access it. One of the areas that you're very excited about is this decentralized finance. And Bitwise, I mean, just to you know, let our audience know, you're, there, you've got some interest in this because uh, you have uh, created a DeFi crypto mm -hmm. index fund. And again, decentralized finance, uh, which you think is going to really disrupt fintech and the whole financial industry. Can, can you describe what's going on there? What, what decentralized finance? Sure. I mean, is? I should say, Consuela, this is a very early, very risky, very nascent market. So that that should be understood. OK. But more broadly, right. if you think about the financial industry, one of the unusual things about it is it's one of the last industries that hasn't been significantly disrupted by software and automation. If we want a mortgage, we still go talk to a mortgage broker who talks to someone else. There's still a title company. We're sending around emails. If we want a loan, we go to the bank and sit down with someone and shake their hand. Is there is a huge chunk of our traditional financial industry that needs to and deserves to be disrupted with software. And that's what decentralized finance is. And here's the amazing thing. There's never been an article in the New York Times about one of the largest decentralized finance uh, protocols, which is called Uniswap. It does $70 billion a month in trading. It generates hundreds of millions of dollars in fees. It's one of the primary ways people are accessing liquidity for some of the smaller cryptocurrencies. It's maybe you know, a third, a quarter, a half the size of Coinbase, and no one has heard of it. I think it's one of the most exciting things I've ever seen. Again, very risky, very early, but right. very exciting and actually needed by the market. The financial industry has gotten too big, too fat, it needs to be, yep. you know, made more efficient. A year ago, I think that you told me on Wealth Track that you know, you should maybe put no more than two percent of your, uh, you know, your portfolio mm -hmm. into a, a digital currency. What would your kind of guideline be today? I think you can now allocate up yep. to about five percent of your portfolio to crypto assets. The reason it's gone up is what we talked about earlier. A lot of the binary risks that could drive this market to zero have disappeared or been severely uh, sort of dissipated by the advances we've seen on the regulatory front, on the institutional front, on the software and product development front. So there's less of that blow up risk that used to attend this market. So I think you could increase it a little bit. For the one investment for a long-term diversified portfolio, and if we wanted to allocate a portion of our portfolio 
to digital currencies, um, what well, would you recommend? Well, 90% of my own crypto investments are in our own index funds. So that would be the core of a crypto allocation if I were making okay, it. Okay, so, but you, you, you can't recommend uh, your own fund. So what would you have? Um, well, at a minimum, you know, get a little own. bit of exposure to Bitcoin and Ethereum. That's what I would say. A little bit of exposure uh-huh. to Bitcoin and Ethereum. Uh-huh. Those are the two flagship assets that represent the two most exciting, well-developed applications in the crypto industry. And um, I think that would be a good place to start. The last thing I would say, Consuela, uh, if you invested in 2018 or 2019 or 2020, your portfolio may be up a lot. There's a flip side to this. Right. If it's more than 5% of your portfolio now, if it was 2.5% and now it's 10 it may be time to pair that back. Matt Hogan, once again, you are a big trend spotter of major major developments in the financial world. First it was ETFs and now it's cryptocurrencies. And I can't wait to talk to you in a year to see what's developed since then. I'm so looking thanks, forward Matt. To it. Thank you for having me on, Consuela. At the close of every wealth chart, we try to give you one suggestion to help you build and protect your wealth over the long term. Well, this week's action point is if you have substantial gains in Bitcoin or other crypto assets, take some profits. I would follow CNBC's Jim Cramer's lead on this one. He recently told viewers that he sold about half of his Bitcoin holdings to pay off his mortgage, saying it was so great to pay off a mortgage. It was like kind of phony money paying for real money. Well, two points of context. Kramer says he bought a lot of Bitcoin when it was priced at around $12,000, so he is sitting on hefty profits. And in the past, he has described Bitcoin as an alternative to a cash position where you make absolutely nothing. Now, I don't view Bitcoin as a cash substitute, but if you are lucky enough to own it, converting some into cash at these levels is a really good idea. Next week, five-star growth manager Damon Ficklin joins us to discuss why focusing on a small number of high-quality growth companies still works. In this week's extra feature, Matt Hogan discusses the lesson learned from the pandemic experience. In the meantime, please continue to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and our YouTube channel. Thank you for watching. Have a great weekend and make the week ahead a healthy, profitable, and productive one.